day-to-day like ministry for the Lord, meeting people and talking to them on that personal level that we often do when we're trying to share the gospel with people. We're going to hear stories. Bible workers will hear stories. Neighbors will hear stories. Pastors will hear people's stories. You don't have to be a health professional to hear those stories. You don't realize if the person is sharing with you because you're a safe person because you have the Holy Spirit inside you and you're a loving and lovable Christian, you may be acting a more effective part in actually curing that person of PTSD than a professional could if they didn't have that love and safety to their persona. I'm not skewing professionals. They often do great work with people, but we can do something too. Very good. All right, what are you going to take home? Go ahead. Uh, Race over there. Well, I can talk pretty loud. I don't know. All right. Um, <laughs> I got, oh, I was blessed every day this week. It's been a wonderful seminar. But um, the admitting emotions part really kind of stuck with me where you said um, not talking about emotions does not equal not expressing no. them. Mm-hmm. And then um, I really liked where you said, whatever you define, you can find. Because mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought about mm-hmm. emotions in the, either of those ways before. Mm-hmm. And so that was good for me. Well, and you know how kindergarten teachers and first grade teachers say use words to kids because they're going to they're gonna express their emotions. But they say use words. Why do they say say use words? Because that's part of growing up and maturing. You know, when God created humanity, he said, have dominion. And it was have dominion, name the animals, have dominion over nature. He put us in a position of leadership. And if you think about it, first and foremost, we have dominion over ourselves. That in the New Testament is called self-control. It's not called God-control. It's called self-control. So there's, there's personal agency involved. And so that ability to know that we're emotional beings and then learn how to regulate and channel those emotions is very, very important to our Christian maturity. And the first step is, like you said, defining them, and that helps confine them. It makes them manageable. Very good. Thank you for that. You're picking up what I'm putting down. Love it. <laughs> All right, one more. Anything? uh, What are you going to take home? She's all shrinking. Well, I was just wondering if (laughs) do you have clients or know people that have totally overcome PTSD? Me. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm a little, I'll be honest. I'm still growing in the area when I get bullied, which does happen, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Not physically, but emotionally. Sometimes I get bullied by people. I've been bullied online a couple times, like Mm -hmm. trolled. And people can be quite cruel. I've had people call for my license to be revoked, my counseling license and all kinds of people are so mean. It's called online disinhibition effect because people are much meaner online than they are in person. So anyway, I've been bullied and, and it does trigger me a bit. Yeah. But I don't think I think it's. I think I've healed a lot. Good. Yeah. Go ahead. How do we put together Paul's counsel about leaving the things behind and setting mm-hmm. our eyes on the yeah. goal, what's before us? Yeah, and that's the point. You know, is so that we're not living these traumas over and over again and letting them take center stage in our lives. But I would say that when it becomes part of your story, it becomes part of your testimony, and so for you to share how God has worked through the trauma, you have to share the trauma, the big bare bones of the story. Um, so I don't think that, you know, that text 
forgetting those things which lie behind is specifically talking about our personal life experience. Um, I think it's talking about forgetting our failures, you know, accepting that we fell, we sinned, God forgave us, and then moving forward and not obsessing over things. I think that's a very important thing is not to ruminate or perseverate or obsess over things in the past because, again, we can't change the past. And it's just going to raise our frustration level to focus on it. So I agree with you. And I think under the sort of umbrella of counseling, there's a lot of hurtful rumination that goes on. And and it's tough, though. I'll say it as a counselor. There are some people who all they want when they come to you is to vent. They really don't want your help. And you go to try to help them. And you got to kind of work with where people are at, what they're willing to do. I call them my pay-per-vent clients. That's like all they want is to just blah, 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 you know. And if that's what they're ready for, that's what they're ready for. They kind of get to make that determination. But I would much rather work with people who want to make progress and, and want to get better. That's the name of the game. All right. Anybody else? Oh, I said that was going to be the last one. You guys are so awesome. I really love you. And this has been a great week. I thought it was going to be like 10 people or something. You said it was singles and maybe there'd be 10, 20 people, but it's turned out to be a pretty good crowd. And I had some stiff competition, you know, over there at coming out ministries is at another place. And there's a couple of other things going on at the same time. It's really difficult to pick. And I think the biggest gripe I heard this week, by the way, pastor, is that they wished that these things were scheduled differently so that people could have come to all of them. But we can't do anything about that, right? You're not in charge. You have that look on your face like, I just had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> is there any, is there, is it even feasible to have them at different times? Like, uh, so the problem is that they have a limited amount of resources and a little, a limited amount of time slots. So uh, they rotate the the departments that get to invite somebody. And so next year we won't even have a speaker, but we'll still have activities and things. And, um, and I think because they try to make it as inviting and dynamic for everyone, they just, they, they give you more than, than you can fill your plate with. So that's a blessing, but uh, it's hard to compete. That's true. (laughs) It's like the occasional potluck you go to that's got too much food, you know, (laughs) Some of them don't have enough, but some are like, oh, I wish I could have everything, but I shouldn't. So praise the Lord for this week we've had. It's been awesome. I want to share with you some resources that I have for you to utilize. And as I've mentioned before, everything is accessed through this website, abide.network. That's all you put in the search bar is abide.network. What do you put in the search bar? Abide.network. That's it. And you go there and you can find all the things I'm going to be talking about. But let me also share with you some of the details about what we have. I did a little breathing. Did I do the breathing exercise with you? I didn't think. No, I did. Didn't I do it on Tuesday? Oh, I had to. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So I did the breathing exercise. um, And I mentioned to you that I had created these Jesus meditations. There's 120 of them. I used my friend um, Neville Peter did the scripture songs for them, and I did the little devotional, and then the breathing songs in the beginning. So the idea is to slow the breathing, and then hear the devotional, and then hear the scripture song. And it is very powerful, really, really powerful stuff. I suggest that you watch one of those, or listen to one of those, I should say, once a day, forever. 
And that's a great little devotional exercise and also good for your nervous system. And then what you do is once you've trained yourself to do that breathing, then what happens is if you start getting anxious in the doctor's office or on the bus or in church or wherever you are, you, and it's weird, but you hear my little voice singing that breathing song in your ear like an earworm and you start doing the breathing and you can do it anywhere. It's a very, very portable tool. And it's very, very effective. I have seen people completely delivered from panic disorder onset by using that breathing. It can be very, very helpful and therapeutic. Helps me fall asleep a lot. Helps me calm down. It's just really powerful. But we don't think of it. We don't breathe right a lot of the time. Ellen White says the students should be taught how to breathe. When you have to be taught how to do something, that implies what? that you don't know how, and I know it's true of me. I don't know how. So if you want to get to those Jesus meditations, probably the fastest way, you can find them on the Abide website, but if you want to go directly to the landing page for Jesus meditations, just go jesusmeditations.org. Look it up on your phone right now just to make sure you can find it. jesusmeditations.org and see if you can find it, okay? You will love these, and they are free. It's freeware. We believe in creating a lot of free content to add value to the community. And then we have some, some paid content. So this is one of the paid workshops we have. We try to run these four times a year on Zoom. We have different teachers step in. This is a six-week change-oriented workshop. Meets for about an hour and 15 or an hour and a half each week, we typically have a little warm-up and then a presentation, then a little quiz kind of thing. Action steps are set and then Q&A at the end. It's very short, community-based. People connect to one another, share with one another, and encourage one another in their recovery. So these workshops are very much off of the community mental health model, and they're very effective. Here's another workshop we do called I'm sorry, Abuse. Uh, trauma and faith. So it's a faith-based approach to trauma. In particular, it focuses, now you could go, if you had any kind of trauma, motor vehicle trauma, war trauma, but it's specifically created for people who have been through abuse of one kind or another. And the trauma that's associated with that can often leave a mark on us. And so it's a faith-based approach to that, where I give a lot more detail along with what I've shared with you on how to manage trauma. I have a one-day training, which is more of a training for people who are trying to help other people. It can be volunteers and lay people, though, and it's called Project Safe Church. And what we do is we train people how to respond to sexual abuse in a church context. We have a group that are working with the Adventist Church. We're trying to get connected and become something in the church to where people trust us. We have a website where people can file reports of where they have been sexually abused in the Adventist church. We've had a problem in the past, and it continues to this day of not dealing with these situations. And I know there's legal reasons why, but when situations come up and someone in spiritual leadership acts out, if there's nothing left on their work record, they will go somewhere else and abuse there too. So we're trying to do something about that, working with various conference entities 
to try to create a little more of a system, a little more accountability in the Adventist church for leadership. And that's what we talk about in this training, Project Safe Church. We do that once a quarter on Zoom. And we also, all of these workshops, all of these trainings can be done in your local church. If you will just um, email me, I will give you some direction there. The Abide, it should be called coach training. We changed the name of it. It's, it's a coach training where people can actually learn how to do mental health coaching. We also run that on Zoom four times a year. Um, it's a one-day training. You can access it on the website, but, uh, but again, if you want to go directly to the website itself, just go to projectsafechurch.org. So why don't you pull that up and make sure you can get it on your phone. Which one? Jesus Meditation. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, let me work with that after, then I'll try to figure out what's going on. Maybe Pastor can help you. All right, so again, projectsafechurch.org is where you can find more information and when you, where you can file a report or direct someone to file a report if they have experienced abuse in the Adventist church, okay? Sexual abuse is what we pretty much focus on. All right, so now we have Try This at Home, and we have our first installment working now. I'm working with David Asherick on this project. We're trying to do a series of books that support family life. So the first one is Marriage. It's basically a marriage workshop. We just got done with one of these in-person workshops at the Lincoln Church called Piedmont Park in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it went great, and we're going to have four more Zoom sessions to carry the benefit forward with the couples that came to the workshop. And David and I are also going to be doing one in Nashville next weekend. If you want to come, let me know, or actually just go to the website, trythisathomehub.com, trythisathomehub.com, and you should find a link there to the Eventbrite page for the Nashville event if you want to come in person. By the way, you can also come virtually if you want. You get the whole workshop virtually. Either way, you can come in person, you can go virtual. But we do these workshops regularly. David's all excited about it. He's very much fun to work with. I have to say it takes like four days for me to recover from a weekend with him. But um, but I do recover, and I really I love him. He's a good guy. So we're going to do this marriage workshop, and we are in the process of getting a book done on marriage. We're done writing it. It needs to be edited now. We're going to do one on parenting. We're going to do one hopefully on dating and maybe one on sexuality. I think I shared this with you already. And then one on aging and dying right about the time I'm ready to age and die. (laughs) I mean, it's going to take so long to get there, but it is something, whoever talks about that, we all don't want to talk about aging, but it's a thing. We're all going to go through it except for a few people that are alive when Jesus comes. I hope I'm one of them, but I might not be. So I want to be ready in either case. We have free telephone support groups through Abide. You just go to the website again, abide.network, and you can find the information about how to access those support groups. They use these books as a basis for their work. We have learned that when you're going to do group You have to have a text because otherwise people will just talk about their problems (laughs) and it'll drag people down. So you have to have something to sort of lift them back up 
and positivize things. So they use these books, and it's a deeply spiritual event, and people really support one another. They're great. It's great volunteerism in Abide Network. I'm just blown away by the number of people that just show up to help. It's incredible. There's an amazing ethos. Yeah. What's that? I'll pray when I'm done. Is that all right? Okay. You just remembered. Okay. What's that? No, that's okay. All right, I'll pray when I'm done with this. Okay, so Food for the Heart Bible Study, 8 p.m. Eastern Time Fridays. In other words, in a few hours. And we're going to have the last of a series we just did called The Feast, where I went through all 28 fundamentals. We're doing that tonight. I'm going to be running it because I have to run it whether I'm home or not. But we will continue to have these as long as people keep coming. And we sometimes have testimonies. We sometimes have presentations. Mental health oriented, but biblical. It's a Bible study. So the Food for the Heart Bible study. And there's the Zoom number. Please show up. We'd love to see you. Here is the QR code, if you wish. Go ahead and take a picture of that. You can get to our link tree, I believe, which will direct you wherever you need to go. Okay, any questions? I'll leave that up there for a minute. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity of being here with these beautiful people. They've been such a blessing to me. Their attention is not... Um, I, I haven't missed the fact that they've really tuned in and become part of this experience of learning more about mental health. I appreciate each one of them. And I want to ask that you bless them abundantly. You say, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. We're talking about prosperity of soul here, Lord. Prosper us one more time. Send us your Holy Spirit that we might heal and bless others with healing is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk this session about creativity. I'm calling it the art of life, how the DNA of every human being makes us creative geniuses. We were created by a creator God in his image, and so the creator created us to create. That's a, this talk in a nutshell. I'm going to be just sharing a few thoughts with you, and then I'm going to tell you a little Bible story, and then we'll close out, okay? I want to start with a story from my life. This is where I live in Orlando, Florida. I bought an eight-acre farm. My corporation bought it for the purpose of having events. Now COVID hit, and we took a bunch of roommates in during COVID, and so now we have this whole community of people living there. And I don't want to throw them out because they're all really nice Christian kids that are part of the Jesus School in Orlando. They're not Adventist, but you guys know who Benny Hinn is? So he set up this, or his, his daughter and son-in-law set up this, Jesus Bible school thing, and they are all involved in that. And so that's how I connected with them. They live in my house now. They're the sweetest people. And because I never have to worry about drinking and girls and all the stuff you would normally have to, they're like sons to us, and we're just leaving them there. But this is the farm. This is what I wake up to each morning. I love being around water. I so appreciate my farm. And you'll see if you walk into the main room that there are these beautiful paintings on the walls. This is the work of my brother-in-law, Norman McGuire, who is a painter. 
Now, up until recently, he was working in a chocolate factory. Believe it or not, he made chocolate. But he just retired, and now he paints full-time. But even when he was working, he would come home after a long day of chocolatiering, and he would paint into the evening. His goal is to paint the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. His goal is to paint the story of Jesus. And he has somewhere around 100 paintings at this point, and he wants to paint, I think, 25 more. And then he wants to open a gallery and he has all kinds of dreams. These are not just little pictures. These are paintings the size of the screen here, many of them. So these are masterpieces. And you can see he's just got a real mastery of light, color, composition. He's an incredible artist and has had many offers to buy his paintings but he never bites. So just a little story. I asked him once, uh, what would it do to you to quit creating these paintings? And he said, I think about my painting every hour of every day, seven days a week. And then his daughter, Becky, piped up after exhibits, because he will do exhibits sometimes at camp meeting or in churches or whatever. After exhibits, he goes into a mild depression. I mean, this is the heartbeat of this man. He pours himself into this creative project that God has put on his heart and given him the gifts and the talent to carry out. And this is his passion. But let me tell you guys something, because we don't all have to be able to paint like Norman. I certainly can't. But creativity is bigger than the arts. Typically, we think of creative people as the musicians and the artists, and maybe the writers. But the fact is that creativity is part of human nature. So what I hope to do during this session is light a fire under you to where you realize what you have at your command as a being created in the image of a creator. And how if you will just allow that creator to work through your spiritual DNA and not suppress that urge to create, he will bring forth something new and something beautiful in your life. And each and every one of your lives can be a heavenly masterpiece. And I'm not just saying that to sound, you know, flowery. I really mean it. If you take a close look at each Christian's life, each person who has, you know, obeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit in any measure, whether it's in a religious context or not, anyone who obeys the promptings of the Holy Spirit, their lives are so beautiful. There's so much of interest. There's so much intrigue. God wants us to reach our highest potential, and we can do it through him. God made us in his image, and that word is tselem, and it means representative figure. So there's this thing called everyday creativity that is studied in behavioral science. And I want to read a quote about it. Everyday creativity is fundamental to our very survival. With our everyday creativity, we adapt flexibly. We improvise. We try different options. Whether we are raising a child, counseling a friend, fixing our home, or planning a fundraiser event so that everyday creativity comes out in so many different ways. I was talking to Karen, who was here at most of the meetings. She was from uh, many years ago. She was my neighbor, and we lived in Connecticut at the time. It was when my kids were small. And she told me that she remembered that I was a very dedicated mother, and I put everything into my kids. And she said, I saw kind of the 
seeds of who you are today, even in those days, but you weren't like pursuing that like you are now. But when the time came, those seeds, you know, sprung up and bore fruit. And that's true of all of us. If we will take the task that lies nearest and pour ourselves into it, God will work powerfully. So some of the everyday creative traits are things like openness. That's just the ability to be open to new experiences. And I'll tell you something about aging, because I'm experiencing it now, is that we don't like new things as much as we get older. Have you noticed that? I mean, if you take a congregation of mostly young people and you say, let's try this new experimental approach to church, they'll all be, yeah, let's do it. You know, and they're gung-ho about it. If you say that to a group of 60 plus, it's going to be like you expect fire to come down out of heaven. I mean, you've just committed blasphemy. This is terrible. You know, but it's partly because as we age, we like predictability. We like safety. We like routine more, and we like novelty and change less. But I believe we need to fight that. If we want to stay useful, we want to stay sharp into our old age, and I'll tell you who else wants that, God himself. You remember the story, was it Caleb that said um, something to the effect of, I'm just as strong as I was when I was younger. Do you remember that? I don't remember the detail. Yeah. What's that again? Yeah. yeah, he wanted to go conquer, and he said, I'm just as strong as I was when I was younger. Yes. Yes, and it's a beautiful story, and it shows us that we don't have to, like, just decay when we get older. We can use our powers into our old age. And by the way, the Bible does not see old age as a stigma the way our culture does. And I'll show you that. Uh, well, you can see it all over, but I'll tell you one quick story. Uh, Joseph, and you remember he brings Jacob to meet Pharaoh. You remember that? And, and so you can imagine Joseph, Jacob, he's a bent over, I'm sure, old man at this point, very aged. And he walks into the room and there's Pharaoh in his throne, you know, and the first thing Pharaoh says to him, how old are you? Would you do that in our culture? No, it would be an insult. How dare you ask how old? But it was like, what kind of, do you have a Bentley in your garage? Do you have, what kind of, you know, how much money do you have? You know, it was like status to be old. So he's like, how old are you? And he told him. It was a bragging point. That's my point. So we have this aversion to age, but we can be useful into our later years. In fact, while it is true that fluid intelligence, which is the ability to think quickly and short-term memory and so forth, does de degrade a little after like 25, like you reach your peak at 25, but crystallized intelligence actually increases throughout life, and that's the accumulation of knowledge and understanding and the ability, you know, the, sort of the, the number of problems that you've solved in your life. All of those kind of create this database, and people can continue to improve that throughout life. And that's really basically what we call wisdom, right? Ben Carson said that he found clusters of cells, because he's a neuroscientist, he saw clusters of cells in the brains of 50 plus people. And if those people had not engaged in a lot of substance abuse and other bad habits, he would find these clusters and he called the clusters wisdom. Do you think there's, there's an actual physical manifestation of wisdom in an older brain? I mean, this moves me because God doesn't throw people away. 
He loves people into their years, even when we're aging and even when we're failing, he continues to love us. But he wants us to use what we have. It's not about comparing yourself to others. My husband and I talk about when we look in our faces, like in the wind, like if you're outside a car and you look at the reflection of your face in that glass, for some reason, it makes you look like a zombie. I mean, it's like awful and how old we feel and how terrible it is. Well, we don't have to cave in to that. We don't have to feel like all is lost just because we don't look the way we used to. What's that? I was just reading about the boy Samuel yeah. in the Bible and Eli. Yeah. And uh, Sister White had said that their, relation, that their relationship was what it should be for youth and old age. Uh, Eli relied on Samuel for physical help, and Samuel relied on Eli for his wisdom. The glory of young men is their strength, not their wisdom, but their strength. And we can harness that. And, and you know, another beautiful thing is Joel chapter 2. It says your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I think that's intentional. Look what's going on here. What is dreaming? Dreaming is processing the past. That's what's happening psychologically in your brain when you're dream dreaming. It's a way of sort of processing the events of the day. So it's processing the past. The old men are going to process the past. The young men are going to see visions. Visions are looking into what? The future. So if you connect the old and the young, look at the span of time we can be taking advantage of and, and, and have sort of a mastery over as a result of the joining of the young and old generation. And yet what we do is we put the young people over there in their own world and the old people are, I like it when the generations mingle in church because I think we benefit from each other. All right, so that was a long rabbit hole. All right, so flexibility is the ability to just be adaptive, you know? Change if you need to change. Things aren't gonna always go the way you want them to go. And we all have a hard time learning that. I think women overall have an easier time being flexible because we are forced kind of by our calling with children and families, excuse me, to be adaptable. And women overall can be, tend to be more flexible, but we can also, as we get older, become more rigid. And so that's something we can move against. Autonomy is an, also an important feature of everyday creativity, the ability to know I have agency, I have choice, I have options. I'm not at the behest of everything and everyone else in my life. I can choose my path, I can plan, I can execute. That's a sense of autonomy. Playfulness, the ability to just let go and get lost in play occasionally. Kids are great for that, pets are great for that. Humor is a really important everyday creative trait. Humor is just a whole field of creativity and genius. Risk-taking, the willingness to try things that maybe have potential problems. I can do a little too much of that. I was actually with David Ashrick and a friend of his, of ours, Nathan Renner, in Australia in 2019, and we decided we were going to take a risk and go swimming in the ocean uh, where they didn't have the flags marked out that you were supposed to swim between, and we ended up in a riptide and we almost died. True story. Uh, perseverance, the ability to keep plodding forward even when things don't go your way. So all those things are great traits and contribute to everyday creativity. Now, one of the things we run into in church life is that there's kind of a tension between tradition and creativity. Have you noticed that? 
And so, like, the way I look at it is tradition is needed. I mean, there, there's a sense of stability, there's predictability, there's, you know, black and white facts. We have a certain set of beliefs. Tradition isn't all bad. Creativity is more about fluidity, randomness, color, imagination. And we need both in our religious experience. It tends to be that the old generation values the tradition and the young generation values the creativity, but that's why we need to join together because we need both happening. We don't, we shouldn't become just purely traditional and formalistic, but there are some things in our faith that shouldn't be moved or changed, amen? And need to be there for stability reasons but there needs to be creativity built off of that. Let me just share a quick story with you. In 2010, I was living in Philadelphia, and my daughter was working with the canvassing team, recruiting, and she went into a church, and there were two young men there. My daughter was very pretty, and they immediately became interested in working with the canvassing team. And so they ended up joining the canvassing team, now, this backstory of those two young men, and their names were Lee and Delon. And Lee and Delon had formed a rap duo and performed in their high school, Philadelphia High, throughout their high school years to the point where they were so well-known, they actually had ticketed concerts where people would pay for them. And they had several music videos out. They had, been, they had like three albums out. They were really far down the road of being a rap duo. But what happened was Delon was an Adventist. His family was Pentecostal, and then they went to a Seventh-day Adventist evangelistic series and then joined the Adventist church when he was, I think, 12. And so he's producing this rap music, and Lee is not a Christian or an Adventist, and eventually, Delon becomes convicted that he can't continue doing this music because it's about like girls and stuff, you know. So Delon goes to Lee and says, I can't do this music anymore because my Christian convictions won't allow me to. And Lee just, just about fell on his knees and said, please, we can't break our duo up. We have to do something. And so Lee agreed to study the Bible and keep the Sabbath, I think it was, for a period of time. And then they would decide, and he ended up meeting Jesus and falling in love with Jesus. Yeah. And became, became a Seventh-day Adventist. So I met these two guys. They joined the canvassing team, and I would you know, make food for them and all that kind of stuff. And they were rappers, and they were trying to figure out, now, how is this rap music going to work in Adventism? You know, They would hear the King's Heralds and choirs and bell choirs, and they'd be like, yeah, we love it, but how is this going to work out? Because you know, they were really good. And I know you guys think, oh, rap music, it's just, you know, people shouting, it's not really music. But there is a gift involved in rap music, and it is an art. And you may not like it, but there are some really intriguing forms of rap music. Not everything is morally foul and off-color. There are some forms of it that are actually quite beautiful, I think. And that was what they were doing. So they just didn't know how it was going to work out. And I had, previous to meeting them, begun to put the book of Revelation to poetry, thinking I should produce a cantata based on Revelation. I can write poetry kind of like ticker tape. It just kind of comes out. You know, it's real easy for me to write poetry. So I started writing poetry based on Revelation. And I asked a bunch of musician friends of mine, hey, do you, what do you think? Let's write a cantata based on the book of Revelation. And none of them were interested. So I shelved the idea. That was before I met Lee and Delon. Well, I met them, and they're sharing this rap music with me. 
and thinking, how am I getting, how's this going to work in the church? And all of a sudden, God impresses me, Jennifer, the Revelation Project. So long story short, I went to them and I said, I have a little money saved, and I have a dream of creating a cantata based on the book of Revelation. Why don't we work together? Would you work with me on something like that? Long story short, that happened. They said yes without hesitation. We produced a double album in 2013 called The Lamb Wins. You can find the videos. They're all on YouTube. It's called The Lesser Light Collective is the name of the group. Then in 2015, we produced an album based on the book of Daniel. And fantastic music. You won't like all of it. Some of it you won't like at all. Very wide variety of styles. I'm working with young people. People are all in different places when it comes to music. But you can pick and choose. So look up the Lesser Light Collective on YouTube. That's an example of a creative project that combined the rock-solid theology uh, that God has given us through our movement and create and wonderful young creativity, and the Lord was able to use it powerfully. So we want a blend of those two things, don't we? We want to, to con and I connect, by the way, very strongly, creativity to faith. So let me go into a little bit of that and then a story, and then we'll close out. You know, God tells us, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do an old thing. A new thing. That's right. He wants us to do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers <clears throat> in the desert. Do you want God to do a new thing in your life? Have faith, and you will open up a channel through which he can do that new thing. Now let's look at a passage in Romans chapter 4. This is really kind of the faith passage, and I just want to bring out a couple lessons and then we'll get into our closing story. God, who gives life to the dead, calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is God calling into existence through his creative vision and this creative momentum he creates in our lives, and he's calling things into existence who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Who's it talking about? Abraham. Abraham, that's right. Now listen to what it says about him. And not being weak in the faith. Make a note of that. It says Abraham was not weak in the faith. Interesting, because I can remember Abraham being quite weak in faith. Anyway. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So there's a ton of intelligence and heavenly wisdom here. But I just want to focus on one aspect of it. God calls things that do not exist as though they do. God calls things into being, and he does it through faith. And I want to say this. This is a little bit of an aside, but when God looked at Abraham, he said he did not waver in faith. He wavered in faith. Everybody knows he wavered. What did he do? When God said, have a baby with Sarah, did he say, okay, and then he obeyed God? Is that how it went? No. 
he said, I think I'll help God out a little bit. And the helping God out a little bit became a symbol of righteousness by works, right? So he helped God out a little bit by trying to have the promised child through Hagar. Didn't work out at all, did it? But God didn't leave him alone. God has called you and me. And at times, we have failed to follow through on his call, right? We have tried to help God a little bit, and we've ended up in a works program, so to speak. But God continues to call, and he continued to call Abraham, and ultimately he called him to sacrifice his own son. But what did Abraham do that time? He obeyed. And what God did, and this is so fascinating, is he took the victory of Abraham and he applied it to the rest of his life so that he could look at the story of how Isaac was born and say he did not waver in unbelief. So the victory that God knows you will ultimately achieve, he applies to your life now. He sees who you will be, and he applies that to your life now. We do not know what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So if you will hope that God will bring to pass this growth in your life and that you will ultimately be like him, if you will continue to hope in that, he's going to use that hope to purify you and bring about that very thing that he promised. Amen. God is working in you to perfect the image of his son. And he's going to shine that out to the universe. And it's going to be so beautiful. And he believes in you. question is, do you believe in him? So anyway, creativity is bringing into existence things that do not yet exist, except in our minds. And therefore, they do exist, just like things exist in the mind of God. And as soon as they exist in the mind of God, they exist. In exercising faith, we bring forth a new thing in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I just want to look at a few other facts from behavioral science. The Big Five personality test, I think I've mentioned this earlier this week, is the only personality test that has empirical validation behind it, or a lot of it. And so it's a cool test, and it tests these five traits and the one that really correlates with creativity is openness. So are you open to God doing new things in your life? Ask yourself that question. So that openness correlates with creativity, intellectual engagement. Um, let me see. Okay, there's three. What's that? Okay. You got it? <laughs> okay. So I'm going to skip this slide and just go on to enemies to freedom and creativity. What are the enemies? What are the things that are get in the way of us being creative? Would you like to know what they are? Because as I mentioned before, God is going to work in your life, but you have to guard against the things that are going to get in the way. Rigidity. It's got to be this way. There's no flexibility. Now, there are some things to be rigid about, and I don't deny that. Adultery, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, you know, those are... But how you practice the Sabbath, that requires a, an art. That's an art as much as it is a science. Fear is an enemy to creativity. Face your fears. Learn to overcome them. Routine is an enemy to creativity. I give this assignment to my clients. I say, rather than do life the same way you always do it, just for a day, do things different. Instead of driving straight home, go to a park and wade in the fountain. Feed the ducks. Push the children on the swing. Do something different 
just to break your routine. Addictions are enemies to creativity because they sabotage the part of the brain that engages in creativity. Bad habits are enemies to freedom and creativity and a have-to mindset. You know, a lot of times we say to ourselves, I have to forgive this person. I have to keep the Sabbath. I have to do this. I have to do that. But the reality is we don't really have to. God has given us the freedom not to. And so we want to remind ourselves constantly that we are people of agency. And instead of having that have to spirit and attitude, have the I choose spirit and attitude. All right, I want to end with a story. This is Mary um, Magdalene, and I want to tell you about her. She was raised in little, because I think she's a creative genius, by the way. That's how she fits into this talk. She was raised in a little Jewish community outside of Jerusalem. It was called Bethany. And she ended up a demon-possessed prostitute in a distant city about three days north of Bethany on foot called Magdala. And she was fully possessed of demons. How did she get from an innocent little girl to a demon-possessed prostitute? To me, that has trauma written all over it. Something disrupted her process of growth and the natural adoption of the value system of a functional family, which people do to a greater or less extent. But there's been some trauma in this girl's life that has catapulted her into this lifestyle. So she ends up this demon-possessed prostitute. We don't know exactly when, but she meets... Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he began his ministry in Bethany, and Magdala is in Bethany. There's also a Roman garrison in Magdala where she probably got some of her customers, Roman soldiers. So Jesus begins his ministry up there. Maybe it was the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know where, but she became acquainted with Jesus. But in my reading, she attempted to become a disciple of Jesus and fell back seven times. I don't think it happened all at once. What do you think? How many of you think she was immediately delivered from all of those demons? How many of you think there may have been a conflict involved? I think the way it played out was the disciples would trigger her. I mean, she'd been through trauma, and the disciples would trigger her, and back she'd go into her old ways, trying to escape and running away from Jesus, but he would pursue her. And I believe there was a battle and I think finally she was free. Now I want to back up a minute and talk about what happened to this girl. What is the trauma? As I've researched Mary Magdalene, I have discovered that she had, she was Simon the Pharisee's uncle. And we can see that she's a relative from scripture because she's at the feast at Simon's house. Why would she even be there if she wasn't family? That's where I get that. But anyway, I know from extra biblical sources that he was her uncle. Now let's talk about the Pharisees for a moment. They had an image to keep up, didn't they? They had to keep the order, didn't they? They were influential in that environment, in that community. I like to think of the Sadducees as the conference workers and the Pharisees as the self-supporting workers. You know what I mean? Like the Sadducees had the power kind of, the voting power. They were the salaried workers. But the Pharisees were the ones that kind of had a lot of influence over the people. 
And so when those Pharisees showed up, you listen to what they said. They really swayed the people in that community. And so they had a very high standard. They were the ones that were more conservative, you might say, and the Sadducees were more, quote, liberal. So the conservative ones really had a hold on the people, and they had high standards, and they had to seem to comply to those standards. But they didn't know the grace and love and power of Jesus, did they? And if you don't know the grace and power of Jesus, you're not going to really maintain high standards. You might be able to manufacture an appearance of conformity to those high standards, but you will not actually conform to God's law. What you will do is you will live your life as a phony, as a hypocrite, and you will take your sinful nature and you will go underground and you will hide what's really going on in your life. This is why I think we see cases where there was sexual exploitation of women in that culture. The woman taken in adultery, for example. You remember that story. There is no evidence, do you know, that that woman was Mary Magdalene. I think it was a different woman. For one thing, she was in Jerusalem. Prostitutes are very territorial. Don't come on my street corner. And Mary Magdalene was in Magdala. I don't believe it was the same person. I believe there were many women who were abused by the Pharisees of that day. It was an underground playground for sexual escapades for unconverted but very outwardly religious men. As I've mentioned to you before, I am involved in abuse response work, and I see this on the regular. It's heart-wrenching. But let's talk about how an individual who has been abused by a clergy person is affected. Sexual abuse is very damaging. Sexual abuse that occurs in a family is even more damaging. Why? Because it signals not only the abuse itself, but the failure of the protective system to protect that individual. So the family is meant to put its arms around and protect the tenderness and the vulnerability of children, but instead a family member then attacks a child or in invades a child or abuses a child, that's unthinkable. It's like an autoimmune disease where the protective system actually turns and destroys. So that's why incestuous abuse is even more damaging. But add another layer, and that is religious abuse. That individual represented God to you. That individual was part of your Christian, quote, family, so there's an incestuous element to it. We're told that you should treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. We are to regard one another as family, but we are to do it in purity, because if you don't have that purity factor, it's going to go really south. And so add that third layer of religious contexted sexual abuse, and it's the worst that can possibly happen. And she is shattered, and she runs, and she ends up in Magdala, and she's demon-possessed ultimately. But Jesus isn't done with her, is he? And she comes up with, with, she comes to Jesus, she falls back, but ultimately he delivers her and she's free. And she wants to thank him. So she comes up with this brilliant idea. You talk about creativity. The Old Testament said that the hire of a prostitute could not be used as an offering to the Lord. But she finds a way around the system. And she thinks, I will take my money, my life savings. It was a year's wages. Working man is, three, is a penny a day, and she spent 300 pence on that ointment. 
and she decides she's going to buy ointment for his burial because Jesus has said he is going to die. And she believed him. Mary was an old towel. It sucks the moisture off your skin. People give me new towels when I travel. They give me their best fluffy towels. Those things repel moisture. They don't, they don't absorb moisture. But I love an old towel. Mary was an old towel. Jesus said, I'm going to die. She sucked it in. She really believed him, and no one else did. She decides she's going to purchase something for his burial. She wants him to be buried as a king. So she goes into the apothecary shop, and she says, what's your finest? And he brings out the $50 bottle. And she says, no, sir, I want your finest. He brings out the $100 bottle. She says, no, sir, I want your finest. And he says, ma'am, you can't afford the finest I have. You must be a farmer's wife. You're dressed in an old outfit. She's not wearing her regalia anymore. You, You can't afford the finest that I have. She says, I can. I think I can. What's your occupation, ma'am? Well, I used to be a prostitute. And by the way, prostitutes can make a lot of money. I had a client once, 10000 a night. Not that I'm going to turn to that source of income, but you know, <laughs> it was kind of a lot. So anyway, she made a lot of money. And as soon as she said that, he knew she probably could afford it. And he went up and he got his alabaster flask that was filled with the precious spikenard ointment that had been harvested from the Himalaya mountains, way up in the mountains, from this certain kind of flower that produced this very medicinal, very powerfully fragranted ointment. He said, ma'am, this is the finest that I have, but I cannot allow you to sample its fragrance because once this alabaster box is broken, it can never be resealed. It's meant to be a display of homage for a great king. She says, that's exactly what I want. How much? $40,000, ma'am. Now, we do have a payment plan. And she's like, no, 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 no. She starts counting out the gold coins on the counter. And to his utter astonishment, there is enough money to purchase the alabaster box. And she goes forth. But then she hears that Jesus is going to be crowned king after all. Well, her theology isn't 100% straight, is it? I can think of some people that were confused theologically in 1844. But God works through our confusion, guys. She was still willing to be used by the Holy Spirit. And she was able to work through her in such a positive way. She she went to the home of Simon the Pharisee. She broke the alabaster box. Her heart broke along with it. The tears began to course down her cheeks. She decides she's going to use those tears. Talk about creative genius. And she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with the hair of her head. Talk about resourcefulness. You know, there's spikenard ointment everywhere. It's on his head, one account says. It's on his feet, another account. It's all over him. But she forgot to account for the fragrance. She thought she was going to be able to back out of the room and nobody would see her, but suddenly that spikenard fills the room. And the disciples look and they take in what has happened and they begin to scorn this woman. And Jesus says then some of the most beautiful words that ever came out of his mouth. He said, leave her alone. I love that. And then he tells a parable and he says there were two debtors. One was 10 times more in debt than the other, but the one they were in debt to forgave them both. To which one should be the more grateful? He said that to Simon. 
It was as if Jesus was saying, I know you're 10 times more guilty, but she's 10 times more grateful. What up? You know? And instead, he realized that Jesus knew his story. He knew the gig was up. And he became a steadfast follower of Jesus. It's an amazing story. There's so many layers to it. I don't have time to go any further. But I just want to say one more thing, and that is a week later, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And what do you do when you're on a cross? You sweat. And the fragrance came up out of the deep layers of his skin. He couldn't think. You can't think when you're traumatized. Jesus literally died of a trauma response. You can't think when you're traumatized. But he, you can feel. And the olfactory nerve goes directly to the emotional part of the brain. So God used that offering of ointment to speak to Jesus in his darkest hour with the fragrance of love. Are you willing for God to work through you, to bring comfort to the heart of Jesus and in the person of the least of these? How many of you want to say yes to him today? Yes to creativity, yes to Holy Spirit-led, faith-driven artistry, and yes to God can use you to do great things. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. All right, Pastor. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate every single topic this week. And um, without adding too many words to it, let's close with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you love us this much and, and you have uh, given us so many powerful statements, so many powerful words uh, through your servant this week. I pray that each of us will take those to heart and will allow it not just to be informational, but transformational, that we learn how to apply what we've learned, not just for ourselves, but also for everyone who comes in contact with, that we can take these lessons and, and share them and build others around us, that uh, your blessings may, may reverberate throughout our communities and that many people may be blessed. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm 